Hope everybody's doing awesome. Uh, we got a big chunk of our kids that are heading up to camp. I had kind of a weird, uh, I don't experience, not weird experience last night, but just one of those things where it feels so coincidental that it doesn't feel like it's a coincidence. Uh, our neighbor two doors down has a son who had a birthday. They invited us over, uh, and we went over there, and they invited some other friends from around the cities that they knew. And one of their friends came, brought her husband, and we were just talking, you know, what do you do, things like that. And he found I'm a minister at the Church of Christ. And he's like, is that the one that has that camp? And I'm like, I mean, Flaming Pine Youth Camp? He's like, that's the one. And I'm like, no way, you know this camp. Evidently, he's even been there. I mean, it just kind of blew my mind a little bit. I was like, wonder if this is one of those moments where God's like, now I got to invite him to church and all that kind of stuff. But I thought that was kind of cool that, that the things that we do that may not seem very significant kind of have a broader impact. And that's true for VBS as well. You know, people show up and they go out and do things and they have this experience that they remember, these lessons that they remember. And I just think it's, it's valuable to, to, to know that, that we're doing good things, uh, even if the, uh, the impact of those things aren't always readily apparent. So VBS, camps, all that stuff, the, the, the time and effort, Mexico mission trip, that we just got back from last week. All that time and effort people spend doing those things are good, good, good things. All right, we are in this sermon series called Mind Control, and we're trying to kind of get people's brains to, to, you know, their eyeballs to like uh, glaze over when they look at that poster a little bit, mind control. But the Bible does speak a lot about the idea of what's going on in our brains uh, and what we do with it, what's, you know, the the thoughts that pass through and how we figure all that kind of stuff out. Um, Math was one of my least favorite subjects in school. And it was one of my least favorite, and I, for me, and this isn't true for everybody, but for me, I could just never figure it out. I mean, I know it's concrete rules and two plus two equals four, but my brain does not work that way. It just doesn't like make sense to me. And so I always struggled with math. Um, in fact, like when I go to restaurants and stuff, I'm terrible with the tip, like figuring, doing that math, you know what I'm talking about, so you can get like a certain number. So what I'll always do is I'll always write the number in the total line, like whatever total I want to spend, and then I'll just write math in the tip line. I'm not going to do your homework for you. You've got to do your own homework. My wife hates that when I do that, but I just, I don't know. I, I know calculators. I just, math, man, it stresses me out. Those of you that do like Sudoku for fun, that is so stressful. It is just like, I can't take it. It just, it feels like homework and it feels like I'm going to get a bad grade all over again. I can't, it's, it's tough. Now, you're probably wondering like, why in the world am I t- talking about math? And we'll get back to that in a second. But to start us off this morning, I want us to look at this one verse, just short verse, and then we're going to talk about math. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Okay, math. Where's he going to go with this? Math. Now, this is one of those little tidbits that if you grew up in the church or if you're like me, you like your preacher, you get just all wound up about this. And I was so excited about this piece of information that I'm going to share with you that I was just like, just couldn't wait to share it with you. And then I realized that I'm probably the only one who's going to care about this. You're all going to be like, he built all this up and it doesn't matter at all. But I found this fascinating. Ready for this? Ready to have your minds underwhelmed? Here we go. Mathematics comes from the Greek word mathema or mathema. comes from that Greek word. And I'm like, wow, right? Amazing. I bet you never knew, you didn't realize you were going to come to church today and find that out. It's incredible. You guys all seem appropriately underwhelmed. That's excellent. You're doing an excellent job. Now, this is what I thought was cool. The word disciple, 
And this thing that we're trying to get everybody to do, this, this, this concept of following Jesus, the word disciple comes from the same root Greek word. It means a disciple is someone who does math. Not really, but it's the same exact root Greek word. You can go to the next slide if you want. Mathetes. So the, the, the per, a math, mathematics is like learning, and a disciple is a learner. Now, I thought this was interesting and a little terrifying because if you had to do math to actually be a follower of Jesus, I would flunk out. It wouldn't be good for me. But I thought this was so fascinating for me to understand that a disciple of Jesus is a learner. That's the root word. Someone who learns. Someone who follows Jesus isn't just someone who's just going along with the motions, whatever Jesus did. Simon says he's someone who is learning. She or she is someone who is learning. A disciple is a learner. So what we do, we follow Jesus for the purpose of learning what he did so that we can be doing those things. But a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a learner. And I think that has a, that, that's a huge piece of information that sometimes we just don't pay that much attention to. A disciple is a learner, which means discipleship starts with the mind. Discipleship starts with the mind. A disciple is a learner, and discipleship starts with the mind. Now, don't hear me say that discipleship is some sort of, like, uh, academic intellectualism. You know, you have to have a good GPA in order to be a disciple, because some of you are like, like me. It's just school wasn't your thing, and it's just not for you. Don't, under, don't hear me say that you have to be, you know, have a good SAT score in order to be a disciple, but discipleship starts with the mind. It starts with a desire to know who Jesus is, to know what God wants from us, to know how his ideas and his commands work themselves out in our lives in this present world. And the trouble is, I think that there's a lot of people who follow Jesus, but, or say they follow Jesus, but don't really engage their minds. Don't really engage their minds. They're following Him, but just kind of whatever goes, and they're not thinking about what's going on. Let me give you an example. Um, we take all these teens and chaperones to Mexico, and we try to sit them down at the beginning of the week and tell them some of the differences between here and there, some of the cultural differences, some of the things that you can expect to experience that are a little bit different. And one of the things down in Mexico is that people in Mexico, when they drive, they don't believe culturally or you know, countrywide, pedestrians do not have the right of way. So have you ever noticed here in the States... Somebody will be walking across the street completely oblivious to the fact that there's an oncoming car coming. They'll just be walking across, looking at their phone or whatever, and you're like, come on, you got to pay attention to what's going on on the road around you. And so that's why I think this actually works better, because pedestrians don't have the right-of-way. So when you get to the edge of the road, you got to be watching for traffic coming, and if there's an opening in traffic, you can cross the road. But no matter what, no matter how much we tell people we're walking around town, looking at things, people get kind of in the zone, and they just start following the person in front of them. And in Inevitably, multiple times throughout the trip, we have to yell at somebody to stop or yell at somebody to run because they're not paying attention. They're following, but they're not engaged. And I wonder if this is true for a lot of us as, as people who want to be disciples. We're following Jesus, but we're not really engaged in the process. We're not really paying attention to what's really going on and what God really wants from us. We're following, but we're not really engaged because discipleship starts in the mind. What did Jesus do? Why did he do it? What would he do in our situation? So what we're trying to talk about today is the idea of getting off autopilot as Christians. 
getting off autopilot and getting into what God really wants from us, what Jesus really wants, what it really means to be a learner. And I, I feel like too many Christians have ceased to be learners and thus undermined the very thing that makes us disciples. We're following without learning. Discipleship starts in the mind. All right, that immediately brings us to a pretty large dilemma. Discipleship starts in the mind because, and this is why, your mind is not a team player. Your mind is not a team player. Because your mind will do things and think things that you do not want to do or think. Have you ever run into that? This thing that is part of who you are comes, sometimes comes up with thoughts and ideas that you're thinking, where did that come from? Your mind. Your mind is not a team player. You've got this thing going on where it's kind of you versus your brain, you versus your mind sometimes. Now, we sometimes have the craziest stuff going on up there. I know scientists tell us there's like 80 billion neurons, you know, firing at every given time. Just stuff going on. So you're sitting listening to a sermon, but at the same time, stuff's going on in your mind. Sometimes it's normal stuff. There's a normal train of thought. Your stomach starts to rumble. You start to wonder, ooh, what's for lunch? Where are we going to go? Uh, how much do we want to spend? How are we all going to get there? Are we going to get there before the other churches let out so we can make sure we get a good table? All that kind of stuff starts to go on in your mind. You have a lot of neurons firing right now in your brain. But then sometimes there's things going on and it just feels like this thought flew in from left field and you're like, what? I was sitting at church minding my own business and bam, there's this random thought. Where did that come from? What was going on? You're just asking yourself weird questions in your mind or you're noticing weird things going on around you or weird, you know, you're just staring at somebody like, why did they decide to wake up and dress like that this morning or whatever it is? Just your mind is not always on your side. Your mind's not always a team player. In fact, have you ever, have you ever thought about this? Just tell your mind not to think about something. And your mind's going to go, no, that's exactly what we're going to concentrate on. Because if I got up here and I said, hey, everybody, I don't want you to think about, you know, X, our minds, they're rebellious. They're just not team players. They're not on our side half the time. Or think about this. Um, have you ever, like, especially when you're in school, have you ever tried to tell your mind, all right, mind, we got a deadline. We have got to concentrate, mind. We got to focus here. Because if we don't get this done, this is important. I got a test. I got to turn this in. I got a boss, whatever. And your mind is like, no. You're, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get distracted by YouTube videos all night. That's what we're going to do. And you're like, what is going on? Are you not on my side? You're in my head. Like, how can I not, like, rein you in? Or how about this? Like, your mind, hey, mind, you know, we got to go to sleep because we need a good night's rest. Doctors tell us we need uh, a good eight hours, nine hours, some of us, right? We need good night's rest. And so you need to go to sleep. You need to go to sleep right now. And your mind is sitting there for hours thinking about that embarrassing thing you did 15 years ago that nobody but you remembers. Like, why did I say that? Come on, mind, I need to sleep. And your mind's like, nope, we're going to stay up. We're going to have fun tonight. Imagine, imagine if someone actually had the power to read your mind. You would be apologizing all the time. <laughs> you'd be walking around town, you'd be like, I'm so sorry, I thought that. I didn't mean to. I'm It'd be like that friend that embarrasses you in public, like, I'm so sorry for their behavior. Your mind, you would be apologizing for your mind because your mind is, feels like it's not on your side. It just feels like it's working against you sometimes. I've heard people say that your mind is like a computer. Yeah, I guess if a computer crashes all the time, I guess it's like a Windows PC, right, I suppose, but... 
But yet, maybe if you like try to type something in and it just does something else completely, sure, that's like your mind. If your mind just goes off and Google searches its own thing, sure, that's like your mind. But your mind is like not like a computer. Your mind is like a smart two-year-old, right? Just doing its own thing, it feels like, half the time. We had VBS this week that you heard about, and you walk into this room right here. We had cleared out the chairs, and there was 150 children in this room. And there was, a, there was a bunch of teenagers trying to corral them. And then there was a few responsible adults. I'm not including myself in that list. Other responsible adults that every once in a while you'd be like, okay, we got to get everybody's attention. So we'd make noise. We'd, we'd rattle this thing. We'd shout like, hey, everybody pay attention. And these, these kids, these elementary age kids are just bouncing off the walls. And it's our fault, right? We fed them Rice Krispie treats and then had them come in and try to like pay attention to something. But your mind is like a room full of elementary age kids that just are all hopped up on sugar. Your mind is just kind of, it feels like it's you versus your mind. And it's not just weird thoughts or embarrassing things. This is true in the the moral realm as well. Like you tell yourself, okay, okay, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. And what what happens? You worry and stress and get anxious thoughts. You tell yourself, don't be negative. Don't be negative. Don't be critical. Don't be critical. And then as soon as something seems out of place or as soon as there's something you don't like, you're negative and critical. Don't be judgmental. It just never works out when you're judgmental. And then your mind sees something that's easy to judge, and you're just right back there. So it's not just weird thoughts. It's, it's morality, too. Our mind just doesn't feel like it's always on the same page with us. I, I, my kids were watching The Wizard of Oz this week, and I happened to walk in the room when the straw man was just singing about if he only had a brain, and it made me think maybe the straw man doesn't have it ba- so bad. Maybe he's doing okay. Maybe you should just leave out the brain, buddy, because sometimes our brains just don't feel like they're on our side. Now, the Bible recognizes this issue, and it's not a bug, it's a feature. The Bible recognizes the power of what we have going on in our mind. The Bible knows this and addresses it over and over again, and there's all these verbs throughout Scripture that the Bible uses to speak to the mind. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to talk about a few of them next week, but this week I just want to focus on one verb that shows up over and over again in Scripture when, when speaking of the mind, this, this, the 150 elementary age kids running around in our brain. We're going to start in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Philippians 3.19. Their destiny, this is someone who's struggling with their mind, struggling with their behavior. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Or then that first verse that we read earlier, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Well, this is good news, first of all, because it doesn't have to be the wild, wild west up there. The Bible tells us there's hope for getting our mind under control. But, and this is really important, the, the victory for our mind is not won in individual battles. Every time you have a judgmental thought or every time you have a worry or every time something you think something that you wish you didn't think or every time there's a, a lustful thought that goes up there, it's not just striking that thing down one at a time. It's about where we set our minds, where we orient our minds, the direction we're putting on our minds, the guideposts we're putting on our minds. So it's not just about these individual battles, it's, it's directionally. We want to talk to the entire room full of elementary kids. We want to get them all on the same page. We want to get our brain, we want to get to the root of the problem and want to change how our minds are set. 
Because if we just try to attack these individual battles, these individual things that are going on, we want to change how, what's going on in the totality, where our minds are set. So we're going to look at this Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, because it gives us some specific advice for where we set our minds. Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. All right, so... It was a little uh, ironic, coincidental. My wife asked me this week uh, what Colossians 3.2 meant. She didn't know I was going to be preaching on it, and I was like, well, you'll have to wait 48 hours because I'm preaching it on Sunday, and I didn't tell her (laughs) what my conclusions were. Uh, But I had been studying this passage. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I think like kind of a cursory glance at a scripture like this, we would say something along the lines of, well, you should set your mind on good things, not on bad things. I mean, you know, just, just think about positive things. And, and if you grew up in the church, you probably heard words like earthly, fleshly, worldly thrown about a little bit. You remember hearing those words sometimes growing up in the church. If you didn't, those are kind of weird adjectives to use. But in the church, at least the, my experience is we heard those words a lot to describe most often to describe entertainment. You shouldn't watch certain movies. You shouldn't listen to certain music. Those are, those are worldly things. And then there's like heavenly things. And that's, you should listen to Christian music. And so when I was growing up, it kind of was this idea like Colossians chapter 3. You can go to the next slide if you want. Um, but Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 could have been translated like this. 3, 2, set your mind on good things like listening to Christian radio, not on bad things like movies with swear words. That's how this verse was applied. Now, that's good advice. I'm not saying that's bad advice, right? Don't, don't, it's good advice. I got my first amen of the morning from my father-in-law of all things. Give you that five bucks later. But that's good advice, right? It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that advice. But that feels like a shallow understanding of what the apostle is trying to communicate here. Set your mind on good things, not bad things. If that's what he was getting at, he probably would have said, hey guys, set your mind on good things, not bad things. I think there's more depth to be mined there. And that probably will actually give us the ability to set our minds directionally on, on what God is asking us to do. You remember the, the, the song, I Surrender All, right? Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. If you're a 15-year-old boy, that is a hard line to sing. Like, I still like playing video games. I still like watching movies. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take... I got stuff I want to do. So he's not, I don't think it's as simple as to say, don't think about bad things, think about good things. I think there's so much more there. It's it's too vague, and we want to get a little, bit, uh, a little bit deeper, for lack of a better word. So he's talking about, you can go back uh, one slide. There you go. No, there we go. He's talking about setting your mind, taking your brain, setting it on things above, not on things below or things earthly, things that are not of above. There's some sort of categorical distinction, and he's got things that he would put in those different categories. We want to figure out what is he talking about? What are in these categories? And I think it may help us to think about this in a slightly different way. It may help us to understand kind of what he's getting at in in a little bit more depth. And I apologize to kids because I'm going to stereotype you. And I know not all kids are this way. So forgive me if you're under uh, 13. All right? So we have a couple foster kids. Foster kid number one, who's three, uh, 
was taking a nap. We said, stay in bed, take a nap. We have to say stay in bed because that's been challenged many times. And he was taking a nap, so um, my wife was also taking a nap at the same time. I heard this story later. And uh, I, I found out that while everybody in the house was quiet, everybody was asleep, foster kid number one had snuck out of bed and had gone somewhere where there was a bunch of gumballs in a bowl or in a container and had eaten every single one of them. Like every single one. I mean, I understand, right? He knew this was his opportunity, right? Better eat them all now. I mean, you don't, can't save any for later. I'm sneaking out. I'm on a covert mission. Got to do this right now. And so he'd snuck out, you know, got back into bed. And I, and I can't remember the details. You can ask Kareen if you want more details later. But I, if I remember right, like we, you know, somebody got up and went downstairs and like, Where, where's the, all the gumballs? They're, they're all gone. All the gumballs are gone. And then we go up to get uh, foster kid number one. And there's a bunch of wrappers in his bed. Like, you know, gumball wrappers. And we're no Columbo, but we can put two and two together and think like, hmm, I think, buddy, that uh, you might have snuck out. And he's like in full denial mode. Did you get out of bed and eat candy? And no, no, of course not. He didn't do that. I, th- I think unless Liam is just really devious here and planting evidence, I think you may have done this. Now, part of it, you're disappointed because he disobeyed. He did something he shouldn't have done. But you're also disappointed because he executed his disobedience so poorly, right? If you're going to disobey, at least be more sophisticated. I don't see a lot of agreement in the room about that. Like, you can't just leave rappers. This is, this is too obvious. Now, the deal is, he is thinking, there is candy, I want candy. But he's not thinking about, well, what happens in 30 minutes when mom comes in to wake me up from a nap? There's no conception of anything beyond give me the candy right now. He's not thinking about anything past that. Now, parents, this is the, the, this is the stereotyping. Um, have you ever noticed, parents, that you think just a little bit differently than your children? Because you ask them questions like, why in the world did you do that? And they say, I don't know, right? I don't know. They're brains, right? They're brains. Now, it's not like your brain is all that much better, but here's a distinct difference between like, you know, a five-year-old, ten-year-old, sometimes even an 18-year-old, sorry, youth group, and an adult. And not all adults, because all adults can fall prey to this too, but kids, this is the stereotype, kids tend to think about the next ten minutes or the next uh, evening, and parents think, tend to think about the next 10 years or so. You know what I mean? Kids think about the next 10 minutes, parents think about the next 10 years. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, and this, this can take many, many forms. But a kid can come up to a parent and say, hey, mom, dad, can I watch TV? Now what the kid is thinking, I want to watch TV, right? What the parent is thinking when they answer that question is they're thinking something like, hmm, if I let him watch TV, he's going to rot his brain, he's going to struggle in school, and if he struggles in school, he's not going to do as well on his, on his, uh, his test, his SAT, he's not going to have a good GPA, he's not going to get into the right school, he's going to end up working some job that he's unhappy with and just be an unhappy human being the rest of his life because I let him watch TV. Because parents are thinking broadly, now it's a little bit of a stereotype too, but parents are thinking broadly, kids are thinking short term. Mom, dad, maybe it's a six-year-old, mom, dad, can I go to this friend's house? They want to go to the friend's house, have fun, watch a movie, hang out with their friends for the evening. Parents, because they're thinking broadly, they're thinking, is that kid a good, good influence? And if that kid isn't a good influence, are they going to take him down some paths that I don't want him to go down? Are they going to end up making some life choices that I don't want him to make? And are they going to make choices that affect the rest of their, the rest of their lives because they hung out with this wrong crowd? The kid's thinking, I just want to spend time with these friends for the evening. And the parents are thinking about the next two decades, three decades. 
Humans tend to think short-term. God thinks long-term. And over and over again in Scripture, when you see this idea about thinking about heavenly things or thinking about earthly things, more often than not, I'm not saying this is exclusive, but more often than not, contained within those verses is an element of time. God's saying, don't think short-term. I want you to think long-term. Let me give you an example. It's a familiar passage, Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Why? Because they're temporary, and they're going to be destroyed. Instead, verse 20, store yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because that is eternal. That lasts forever. And this is throughout Scripture, but let me just give you one other example where 1 John chapter 2 says, it says, don't love the world or anything of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Um, he, because he says the world and its desires pass away. It's temporary. It doesn't last. But whoever does the will of the Lord or will of God lives forever. So when we think about those categorical distinctions, set your mind on things above, not on things below, in part, maybe not in whole, not in totality, but in part, in a very big part, what he's saying is set your mind on eternal things, not temporary things. Set your mind on eternal things, not temporary things. Set your mind on things that are going to matter forever, not things that are just going to pass away. This is clearer to me than simply good or bad because there are, listen, there are things that are good that we should not be wasting our time on. There are things that are good that we should not be wasting our time on. In a struggle with sin, sin often gets a foothold when sin gets us to think short term and not think beyond the satisfaction of whatever that sin will bring. That's when it gets a foothold. But when we begin to think long-term, what are the consequences of this? What's the consequences of my action? What does God think? Like Joseph when he's pulled by Potiphar's wife, I can't sin against my master, but I can't sin against God. What are the long-term consequences of this? God is saying, you set your mind on the temporary things. I want you to think eternally. Let me give you an example of kind of what I'm talking about, how this can affect us on a minute level, not just like major big things, but how thinking eternally affects us kind of on a small, minute level. Let's say that you had gone and bought a product from Ikea. It was your first mistake. <laughs> Ikea is good, but you come home and you come home full of hope and full of excitement about your new thing. And it's supposed to be this big, and it comes in a package this big, and you're like, okay, there's going to be a little work, but I'm going to get this thing put together, and it's just going to enhance my life so much. And so you open up the package, and you get out the pieces, and you lay them all out, and then you open up the instructions because you're not a typical guy. You're going to actually read the instructions, and you realize all the instructions are just cartoons. There's no words. There's just comic books. I like comic books, but I don't know if I need a little bit more, something more substantial in order to put this thing together. But you're like, okay, I'm going to plow through and you get the pieces and you put it together and you realize, oh, I got this thing backward because the comic wasn't very clear and you put it the right way. And then finally you get to this point where you can't make any more progress because there's this little doohickey in there somewhere that the instructions say you're supposed to have, but you can't find it anywhere. And you're thinking at first, well, this is my fault, I'm sure, right? I must have misplaced the doohickey or a child picked up the doohickey and left and you're looking around the house for the doohickey. And this was, you know, this whole project was supposed to take 45 minutes and you're into like four hours of this thing so far. And you're, you're your patience is starting to wear thin. 
And, and maybe your, your child comes along and says, well, you know, did, did you look over here? Yes, I looked over there. Or your wife comes along and says something helpful like, are you sure you read the instructions right? And you just take a deep breath. And you say, yes, I am sure I read the instructions right. Can you all just please leave the house while I finish putting together this product? And you're looking around for this thing, and you can't find it, you can't find it, and you finally decide Ikea has gypped me. They have, like, taken away this thing that I need in order to finish this product. And so you're, like, getting in the car, going to Ikea. I'm going to go to the help desk at Ikea, and they're going to give me the thing that I need to finch, and you're on the road, and you're driving, and you're upset at other drivers because they don't understand. You've already put four hours of your time into this thing. They don't understand you're on a mission. You've got to finish this thing. Other drivers, get out of my way, and you finally get to Ikea, and you go up to the, the customer service, and there's a big old line at the customer service. You're like, these people don't understand. They're here for lesser needs than mine. And you wait in customer service, you take a number, and you're number 45, and they're on number 12, and you're standing there just you know, beginning to be more and more and more frustrated about this whole thing. And finally, you get up to the counter where this, this uh, minimum wage kid who just doesn't care about life or doesn't care about you, and you're like, you need to give me the doohickey thing. And the kid says, I'm sorry, sir, we can't do that. We have to have it shipped. And you're just like, ah, all this stuff, all this frustration, things you've been holding on for 20 years come out right at that moment on this poor college student who's just trying to get by, right? And you look like a ridiculous human being in there. I'm not saying any of you have ever done this. Neither have I, right? You just look so ridiculous. Now, the problem is that whole time you're thinking about the temporary. Ikea furniture is temporary. (laughs) Very temporary. The, The way you treat your children is permanent. The way you treat your spouse is permanent. The way you treat the customer service kid at Ikea is permanent. These are eternal beings. And do you think that if you begin interacting with these people as eternal beings, maybe it wouldn't make the situation less frustrating, but do you think it would help you uh, dig into a well of maybe patience and kindness that you would otherwise lack if you began to think eternally? I think so. I think thinking eternally gives us access to some of those fruits of the Spirit that we so desperately want sometimes. Because we begin to think like, well, eternally kindness is going to matter much more than rudeness in this situation. Eternally patience is going to get me much further than anger or frustration. Eternally gentleness is going to get me much further than a harsh word. When we begin to think eternally, listen, nothing good ever happens when you confuse the temporary with the eternal. Nothing good ever happens. So when Colossians says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, I think he's telling us to help us, help us rise above the circumstances. These things are temporary. These things are not eternal. Sin wins when it gets, gets us to forget about eternity. You wanted that thing you shouldn't have You wanted that experience that was off limits. You filled your time with things that didn't really matter. And what you received was not satisfaction, but regret. Because you thought about the temporary and placed that over the eternal. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Discipleship starts in the mind. And at least one of many keys is getting our minds set oriented in the right direction. And one of the best ways we're going to get our minds oriented in the right direction is to remember the things that matter are the things and the people 
that are eternal. And the things that can be deprioritized are the things that are temporary, the things that aren't going to last forever. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that uh, we have access to truth through your word that gives us such important reminders. Lord, I know sometimes we, we get, I get so frustrated with myself for not being further along in my walk than I need to be um, and trying to fight uh, individual battles with my mind. But Lord, I pray that by following your son, I would be able to, to orient my mind, to set my mind uh, in the direction that it needs to go. Lord, I pray that today you would help us to think about the eternal. You would help us to dwell on the eternal, that, that that concept of those things that last forever would sink deep into our hearts, Lord, and that they would guide our choices, uh, and, and not the least of which they would guide the ways that we interact with our children and our spouses and, and even strangers. Lord, we thank you for eternal truths, and we just pray that these truths would sink deep into our minds today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.